Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. When you walk through Genesis, and specifically through the story of Abraham, throughout God's dealings with Abraham, God reveals himself to Abraham by telling him his name, 
He gives himself various names. In chapter 14, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, calls God El Elyon, which means God Most High. In chapter 16, which Zach preached two weeks ago, Hagar calls God El Roy, the God who sees me. And here today in chapter 17, verse 1, God calls himself El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. And through these names, God is revealing himself to Abraham. He's displaying his character and nature to Abraham. Through the course of his life, Abraham is getting to know God. He's learning to understand God. And of course, this process takes a while. Abraham is finite and fallen, whereas God is infinite and holy. And this collision of God's vast and glorious nature with Abraham's limited and sinful nature, this collision means that not only does the process take time, but it's almost always jarring and disconcerting for Abraham. Because God is gracious and and applying his redeeming love to Abraham, there's always good news and ultimately comfort for Abraham in in his encounters with God. But before Abraham comes to that final place of comfort, there's a really uncomfortable reorientation of Abraham's life. God never deals with Abraham in the way that he expects. God always moves toward Abraham and speaks to him in a way that really changes Abraham's life, really changes his expectation, changes his understanding of who this God is that he's dealing with, what God thinks about Abraham, how God wants to approach Abraham, how God wants to look at, uh, how God wants Abraham to look at the world around him. God takes Abram apart and puts him back together in a new way as he deals with him. Here in Genesis 17, God visits Abraham, speaks to Abraham, and makes his plans to Abraham known. And in the surprising nature of these plans, God takes Abraham apart, puts him back together in a new way. What God does here with Abraham serves as a model for, his, for God's jarring, reorienting, but ultimately loving and comforting dealings with us. The way that Abraham, God deals with Abraham shows us how God deals with us. So as we look at Genesis 17, there's an interesting structure to the chapter. There's four steps that repeat themselves. So in verses 1 through 14, and then in verses 15 through 27, there's this pattern of four steps. First, God speaks. Second, Abraham falls on his face. Third, God speaks again. And then fourth, the covenant sign of circumcision is addressed. So let's look at round one of of this pattern. In verses one and two, God speaks. Moses opens the chapter by telling us that when Abraham was 99 years old, and more on that in a little bit, when Abram was 99 years old, God appeared to and spoke to Abram. And the first thing God says to Abram is, I am God Almighty. 
I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. This is a really tight summary statement. Everything God says in the rest of the chapter is packed into this short sentence. Abram, I am God Almighty. I am the all-powerful God. You are the weaker party in, in this relationship that I have established with you. I am God. You are my follower. Walk before me. Be blameless. Let me make a covenant with you. And that statement, that's in keeping with the relationship that God has established with Abram up to this point. So if we, if we go all the way back to Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, these various times that God meets Abram, God is revealing to Abram, I'm the stronger party. You're the weaker party. I am powerful. I am God Almighty. And I aim to use my power to benefit you. And so Abram, as the lesser or weaker party, you are called to represent me. That's, that's what the phrase walk before me means. You are my representative here on earth. Walk in such a way that matches that, that fits what it means to be my representative. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant with you. And the relationship has been formalized as a covenant. So back in chapter 12, God made a series of promises to Abram. And then in chapter 15, he cut a covenant. He established a covenant with him in that striking scene where God tells Abram, slaughter animals, cut those animals in half, create an alley. And instead of having you walk through that, those slaughtered animals, Abram, I will walk through those slaughtered animals. So God's saying, I guarantee my promises to you with this oath. And if anybody breaks that oath, whether it's me or you, I will bear the penalty for that. I will, I will take on the covenant consequences for failure. So he, he establishes that covenant in chapter 15. And in, in chapter 15, the emphasis of the covenant was on the promise to give Abram land. So in 15.7, God says to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you a land to possess. And Abram responds in chapter 15, how do I know that I will possess it? And God responds in verse, seven, in verse nine, let's make a covenant. This is how you will know. I'm, I'm formalizing this. So the, the emphasis in 15 is on the land promise. Here in chapter 17, notice the emphasis is on the, is on the multiplication promise, on the making Abram into a great nation. So verse two, Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So I'm going to give you descendants. That's the emphasis here in chapter 17. So again, God opens with what is essentially a short thesis statement. I, the stronger party, am God Almighty. I'm the supreme creator, the ruler of the universe. I am unbound in my abilities, I do everything I want to. I, I move as I please. You, Abram, are the weaker party. 
and I have graciously chosen to relate to you and to grant you favor. And so your job is to rep represent me well, to obey what I command. I have bound myself to you in a covenant and I intend to make you into a great nation. That's the thesis statement here in that first move. So God speaks. Second, Abram falls on his face. Verse three, then Abram fell on his face. So Abram's response in this first round is brief, drops to the ground. This is always a good response to God. When, when God speaks, we shut our mouths and listen. We bow our faces to the ground in awe and worship. Abram is saying, you have the floor, God. It's, it's like when Samuel hears God's call, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. You are God Almighty. I am the weaker party. You speak, I will listen. Just a quick aside, it, it's helpful to think about posture when we pray. We, we should pray always. Bible tells us pray, pray without ceasing. And so you should pray when you're out on a walk, when you're doing the dishes, when you're driving in the car. But we should also make it, make it a habit to pray with our eyes closed, with our hands folded, with our heads bowed, on our knees at our bedside, on our faces in our offices, on the floor of our bathrooms. We do not approach God as equals, but as dust. Posture doesn't equal piety. Having the right posture when you pray doesn't make you a holy person, doesn't earn God's favor when you pray. But sometimes it helps. It, it connects your body to your brain and to your heart. We are embodied souls and sometimes the way that we physically move helps us understand what we're doing and demonstrates to God what we are doing. We remind ourselves with physical posture what we're doing and to whom we are relating. It's healthy when you approach God, God Almighty, it's healthy to fall on your face. That is the correct response. So God speaks, Abram falls on his face. Third, God speaks again. That first speech is the summary statement. Now here in verses four through eight, God unpacks what he has said earlier. So he says in, in verses four through eight, Abram, my covenant is with you. I've made you a promise. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. And when, I, when God ties himself to Abra, Abram through covenant, he's tying himself to Abram's descendants forever. It's an eternal covenant. Verses seven and eight. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. End of verse eight. I'm gonna give you the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. In the context of Genesis, Abram is a second Adam. Just as all mankind descends through Adam, 
Now all mankind is meant to turn to the line of Abram for blessing. Back in chapter 12, verse 2, God had said to Abram, I will make you a great nation. But, but even more importantly, in verse 3, he says, In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. You, Abram, will be the head of a covenant family. Adam is the covenant head of all mankind. And now Abram is the covenant head of the family of promise. All mankind descends from Adam. And now all mankind finds hope for being reconciled to God through the family of Abram. So this is a, this is a forever covenant that is recreating hope for humanity, recreating a means for humanity to enter into covenant relationship with God. And God wants to stress this point to Abram. And so he gives Abram a new name. We've talked about this previously, but a name in biblical culture is more than a label. Christina and I, we named our three children with names that we liked. We picked names that we liked. They had some family history to those names, but ultimately we just really like those names. In, in the biblical narrative, in the ancient Near East, a name is a destiny. A parent names their child according to the hope and expectation that they have for that child. Abram means exalted father. And so Abram, as the head of a nomadic clan, He's destined to have a position of importance. He's born to sit in the driver's seat. He's groomed to be in charge. Abram, you are going to have first position. You are going to be this exalted father among this nomadic clan. That's the expectation his parents would have had for him. And God tells him, you have a new destiny. You have a new expectation for your life. You're not going to be the head of a clan but of nations. Your name is father of a multitude of nations because that is what you will be. So Abraham means father of a multitude. And God's saying, that's who you are now. And so before we move on, I want you to notice what, what is the fundamental good news of this prop, promise that God makes to Abraham? What is the final end goal that will be realized by this promise coming to pass. We see it in verse eight or verse seven. I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So I will be your God. And then verse eight. I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So this is the covenant promise. I will be your God. You will be my people. We see that throughout scripture and that ultimately in Revelation 21, that's the good news of the new heavens and new earth. I will be their God and they will be my people. The gift that is being given to Abraham and to his offspring, to Abraham and this multitude of nations that will flow through him, 
the thing that will set Abraham and his descendants apart and that will cause peoples of the earth to forsake their ethnic identity and ancestral ties in order to be a part of Abraham's line is intimacy with God. The good news here in this promise is Abraham and his family get God. That's always the good news in the Bible. The best gift that God can give anyone is access to him. The deepest blessing that every human on earth can ever enjoy is a relationship with God Almighty. To be tied to him, to be known by him, to be loved by him, to be cared for by him. That's the good news. And that is what God is offering Abraham and his descendants. Abraham, I will be your God. You will be my people. Your family will find hope and peace and security and rest in me. You're living out in the wilderness and I'm bringing you back into the land. You're living apart from me and I'm bringing you back into covenant relationship with me. So first God speaks, Abraham falls on his face, God speaks further, and now the sign of circumcision is given. So everything in verse four through eight is God telling Abraham what he is going to do for Abraham. I will multiply you greatly. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will establish my covenant with you. In nine through 14, God tells Abraham, here's what your job is. Here's how you should respond. Here's what I expect of you. Here's how you participate in the blessings of this covenant. And the stipulation of the covenant, Abraham's job in response to what God is going to do for him is the sign of circumcision. Verse 10, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. So in other words, here are your marching orders. Every male among you shall be circumcised. If you don't know what circumcision is, ask your mom and dad when you get home. Four quick points on circumcision. Number one, it is a sign. It's a sign. Like a wedding band is a sign of the marriage covenant or the rainbow is the sign of God's covenant with Noah. Circumcision is a sign of covenant membership. A wedding band doesn't create a marriage. It, it symbolizes it. It reminds us of the marriage. Circumcision doesn't create covenant membership. It only symbolizes and reminds of it. Circumcision, in other words, does not save. God saves. Circumcision is a sign and reminder of God's move toward the individual. So first, circumcision is a sign. Second, circumcision is private. The location is intentional. It's not meant to be shown or presented. And so the sign of circumcision for the parents of the child, it is a sign that their child is part of the covenant family. And as parents, they have a responsibility to teach their children what it means to be part of the covenant family. For the, the man's wife in the future, the, the sign of circumcision is a sign that her husband is indeed a member of God's people that she can joyfully submit to and partner with him in raising a family. 
And then finally, for that individual, circumcision is a reminder that he belongs to God and should act accordingly. So it's private. Third, it's permanent. As the covenant is a fixed reality meant to last forever, so is the covenant sign. The covenant and the sign last as long as the individual is alive. And then finally, it's for every male. Circumcision is not unique to Jews. Abram and his descendants are not the only people who practiced the sign of circumcision. It's, it was a common practice in the ancient Near East. But the application here is unique. It's for every male member of the family. One commentator pointed out that the context most closely associated with Abraham and Moses and, his, and Moses's readers was Egypt. So there in Egypt, circumcision was reserved for the priests as a sign of their consecration to priestly duties, their unique status among their fellow Egyptians. So within Egypt, you have this small group of priests. And con contrastingly, Abraham and his descendants are all circumcised because the entire covenant family is a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's what uh, Moses says in Exodus 19, verse 6. Every child of Abraham has access to Abraham's God and is called to bear witness to Abraham's God. And it doesn't exclude women. They don't have the physical sign of circumcision, but every woman in Israel would have been a member of a covenant household, either through their, their father or their husband or their, their brother or uncle. They are a member of the covenant household. Every male is a member. Every female is a member. They are all a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So this is, this is round one. God speaks. Abram falls on his face. God speaks again, sign of circumcision. And if we were going to do a post-theophany, theophany is this visit from God, a post-theophany press conference, like you would do a, a post-game press conference, if we were going to do this press conference with Abraham, and it, it is almost certain that Abraham would have expected God to be done speaking here. Abe, what were you thinking at the end of the first half? Well, I'll be honest, I thought the game was over. But it's not over. God is only half done speaking to Abraham. What, what God has said to Abraham so far would have been very good news for Abraham. It, it's a confirmation of God's work in Abraham's life for the past 24 years. Remember, Abraham was 75 when God called him. And now here he is, he's 99 years old. And the means for this promise to be fulfilled, the promise is made in Genesis 12, all the, all the elements are there in place. Abraham can be the father of a multitude because he is a father. He has a son and that son is Ishmael. And so Abraham, he would have assumed that the promises here would all come to pass through Ishmael, the son that he had gotten for himself. Remember, God called him when he was 75. He waited until he was 85. And then he took matters into his own hands. Chapter 16, he, he takes this second wife, Hagar, 
And through Hagar, he has a son named Ishmael. And so now 14 years later, 13 years after Ishmael's birth, it's a settled reality for Abraham that Ishmael is gonna be his only son and the means through which the promises find fulfillment will be in Ishmael. So everything Abraham has heard here in verses one through 14, he's interpreting through the lens of his son Ishmael. Okay, God, I'm tracking with you. I understand what you're saying. I, I get it, I'm, I'm ready for this. But God is not done speaking. And what he says next is just shocking to Abraham. This is, this is the part that's very disorienting for Abraham. God says, this is, that was only round one. Round two, God speaks again, verse 15 and 16. God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your, Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her. She shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Just as I've given you a new name and new destiny, Abraham, I have a new name and a new destiny for your wife. Sarai shall be called Sarah. I will bless her and I will give her a son. Just like in the English, Sarai to Sarah, it's a very small change. Both names mean princess. But one commentator has the most helpful explanation. He says, Sarai, her birth name, probably looks back on her noble descent. So again, she's this member of a prominent family, a princess. So it looks back on where she comes from. Whereas Sarah, her covenant name, looks ahead to her noble descendants. So yeah, you come from a good family, but you're going to be the, the mother of a great family. Kings will come from you, Sarah. Whatever the nuance of the name change, Abraham is shocked that God even has anything to say about Sarah, let alone that, it, that Sarah will bear a son. We could have assumed, and it is certain that Abraham did assume, that Sarah was relegated to a bit role in this story of redemption. Her time had come and gone. She's, she's 90 years old. She's not having any kids. It's over for her. And so God speaks, Abram falls on his face again. But this time, Abram doesn't, Abraham doesn't just fall on his face. He speaks. So Abraham falls on his face, but this time he is not awestruck and silent, but he's incredulous and disbelieving. He laughs. Verse 17, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? That a 100-year-old man would have a child is unlikely, but of course not unheard of. But that a 90-year-old woman would bear a son? Come on, God, this is absurd. And so Abraham's next line reveals the disconnect in his heart, the place where he's not understanding the nature of God's dealings with him. Verse 18, Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. That line is a picture of how nearly everyone assumes that they relate to God. 
God, look at Ishmael. Fulfill your promises through the son I have attained by my efforts. You have made a promise. I have worked to contribute to the completion of that promise. I got a son by my strength. This is what men of power and influence did in Abraham's day. They get married. If their wife is barren, if their wife is not able to have children, they take another wife because they need to ensure that they would be able to produce an heir. The birth of Ishmael is a sign of Abraham's strength, Abraham's capacity, Abraham's wealth, Abraham's competence. You look at Abraham and you think, here's an able, intelligent, resourceful leader of a successful, growing, nomadic tribe. It's no wonder that God wants to bless him. Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. God, we've been in this covenant relationship for 24 years. We've done it. We've made it work. Look at what we have done. You made promises. I believed you. I worked with you to fulfill those promises. Here's my son. Let's keep going. But that's not how God works. God is not like the petty gods of the nations that Abraham has encountered. He is El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. He did not choose Abraham because he was impressed. He is not hitching his wagon to Abraham's rising star. He does not need Abraham's help. He wants to show Abraham and his descendants and the entire world that favor with him is given, never earned. And so God speaks again in verse 19. God, you can almost see God cutting Abraham off. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son and you will call his name Isaac. And Isaac means he laughs. You laugh at my plan. I'm going to give your son a name that's going to remind you of that, of that every day. I will establish my covenant with him. I've heard you with Ishmael. I'll, I'll bless Ishmael. I'll, I'll make him fruitful and multiply him. He'll father 12 princes. I will make Ishmael into a great nation. Because Ishmael comes from you, he will be blessed. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you. This is my plan, Abraham. Abraham, it's going to be Isaac, not Ishmael. You must understand salvation is received, not achieved. It's not a mistake that I've waited until you are 99 and your wife is 90 for her to bear a son. I want to remove all doubt about who is in control, who is powerful, who is accomplishing this redemption. This is not a let's work together covenant. This is a I work, you trust and benefit covenant. This is a one-sided affair, a one-sided work so it's not Ishmael, but Isaac. 
It's not your efforts, but my strength. And then in verse 22, just as God started the conversation, he ends the conversation on his terms. So verse 22, when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. And that's, that's always how God deals with us. I'm going to speak, you're going to listen, and you're going to listen until I'm done speaking because I have a plan and you get to hear it. God gets the final word. But just as in the first round, God speaks, Abram falls on his face, God speaks again, and then circumcision. So here's, here's the conclusion. Verses 23 through 27, the sign of circumcision is practiced. So God outlines circumcision in the first round, and here in the second round, Abraham does it. God gets the last word, but Abraham gets the last move. And what is that move? How does Abraham respond to God's radical reorientation of the plan? To God's tearing Abraham apart and putting him back together? How does Abraham respond? He obeys. He trusts. Abraham without delay and without exception, does what God tells him. So we see that in verse 23. He circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. He doesn't, he doesn't wait around. He doesn't think about it. He doesn't consider. He doesn't hem and haw. That day, every male in his household, him, his son, every male in the household is circumcised takes on the sign of the covenant, puts on the team jersey. We belong to God Almighty. The God of the universe has made a covenant with us. We don't have to do anything to earn it. We just receive it. God Almighty does the work. We receive the benefit. We are the family that belongs to, that is loved by, that is known by God Almighty. And so it is with us. We do not join God in his work of salvation. We do not partner with him in our redemption. We receive it. Just as God told Abraham to look to the child of the promise, to the miraculously born son, we look to another promised child, another son miraculously born, to Jesus, who does not Jesus does not help us get our lives together. Jesus purchases our adoption as sons and daughters. Jesus does, we, we do not give Jesus the fruit of our labor and hope that he will bless it. We confess that we belong to Jesus through the covenant signs, through baptism and the Lord's Supper. We say God has worked on our behalf. God has done everything through Christ. Christ has paid the price for our disobedience. Christ has earned righteousness through his obedience. And all we do is receive it. All we do is trust and obey. All we do is say, I belong to Jesus. This is not an us working with God covenant. This is a God has worked for me through Christ covenant. So we're going to take the Lord's Supper in a minute. And then we're going to sing the song, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Jesus, 
I surrender all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. Let's pray. Father, we so often come to you with Abraham's attitude. Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. God, look at what I've done. I've done my best. Is it good enough for you? Father, instead, would you help us to take on the sign of the covenant, to look to Jesus, to say Jesus has done it all. I belong, I belong to him. All my hope is in Jesus and his finished work. In Christ we pray, amen.